0: Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to uh, another episode of The Cutting Room Floor. It's good to be uh, back here with you. Uh, my name's Clay, and I'm I'm here with Pastor Jim. I'm here. <laughs> Glad to be here. <laughs> uh, so we're... Jim, this was your last sermon in this series that we've been in. I know uh, on parenting, and uh, I I remember when you first talked about how we were going to be doing a series on parenting. Uh, I knew it was timely for me personally and for uh, a lot of folks in the church who are <laughs> uh, new parents, old parents, and uh, it's been really, really fun and interesting and challenging yeah. to to get into all this.
1: I've learned so much, Clay. I, I really, I just been. <laughs> this has been uh some sermons uh, i learn a little bit you know i br- i've i've studied my whole life and so you know i i just discover things that are cool mm-hmm. and some sermons and series i just am just being fed so much and this was one of those series yeah i've so enjoyed it
0: i don't want to leave it (laughs) (laughs) and uh it's and of course we're not leaving it just yet uh uh, john jacobs is going to be uh wrapping up the series on sunday uh Uh, and uh so we're, we're looking forward to that but um yeah it's 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 been so fun uh just seeing how the Lord is leading you in your interpretation of these texts. Mm-hmm. And even on Sunday, there were so many moments as we're walking through this next section of the, in the gospel of Luke chapter yeah. two, coming toward the end of the chapter, uh, in, in verses, uh, 48 through 50, mm-hmm. where we're just capping off this encounter between Mary and Joseph and Jesus <laughs> after yeah. they lose him in Jerusalem. Right. Um, and, uh, I, I there were moments in this sermon where I was. It was so clear the interpretation that you were bringing, uh, and uh, it was it was so helpful as we're reading through a text that you know even this one I feel like many people just skip over right mm-hmm. because it doesn't seem like on the surface Jesus is teaching. It seems, you know, whereas later on in the Gospels, it's like, oh, this is really good. We want to sit here and really, you know, yeah. uh, play this out and think about it. Well,
1: if people do see Jesus teaching, they they see him teaching the the, the rabbis and the mm-hmm. other teachers of Israel, but they don't see him teaching his, his mother. Yeah. And I'm not Absolutely, saying he is. I'm just wondering, and and I think that he is. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to be dogmatic about it, but yeah, we sure. can talk about that.
0: Yeah. So, so um, a- as we're just picking up this conversation on mm-hmm. the text, can you tell us a little bit just as you're reading and as you're studying? Obviously, not not everything that you're reading comes into the sermon. So, what are some things that you noticed in oh. these verses that that you you know didn't make it in? Yeah. Um, uh, well, it's, there's a, a,
1: a bunch of stuff, actually. I mean, some, some of these things are, um, you know, just incidental things. They're just sure. trivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that's why it, it ended on the cutting room floor, because it felt to me to be a trivia. Uh, like, for instance, this is, I noticed that there's a, a bunch of firsts and lasts mm. in this text um, and so when I first was thinking about this, I was playing around in my brain about Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, you know, the first and the last. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, there's nothing, there's nothing there with yeah. this text. But, but like, this is the first words we talked about this Sunday. This is the first words of Jesus recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first questions of Jesus that, that are recorded. Uh, it's the first question that Mary asks Jesus uh, that's recorded, of course, you know, because he's 12 now. So we know there's been conversation, but... Um, this is the, um, uh, uh the, the, here, there was a couple other first that I saw in there. Um, uh, this is the, this is the, the last time that we see Joseph and Jesus mentioned together mm. and Joseph doesn't speak in this text, but he's mentioned, you know, with Jesus and that's it, you know? w the Luke will reference jesus um'll reference Joseph later on, but it's like you know in chapter three it says in the genealogy that he was Jesus was said to be joseph's son but there's there's not a story of them being together and then later on in Luke four uh when the people are marveling at Jesus's hmm. teaching and the and nazareth and the and the synagogue, they go isn't this joseph's son um but uh, there's this is the last time we see them together, yeah. and I I wish that there was interaction between Joseph and Jesus. That Joseph said something because there's so much mystery around Joseph. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 Matthew especially helps us see he was a righteous man, and we we do see that in Luke as well. You see, he's a sensitive person. He's sensitive to Mary. Uh, same as you know, Luke goes out of his way to help us see that he's very righteous and his keeping of God's covenant and keeping of God's law. So these are positive things. But yeah. but what was Joseph like as a character, mm-hmm. and what was Joseph's relationship like with Jesus? Where you know what was that all about? And you know, obviously the big question: What happened to Joseph? Yeah, did he die? Did he you know die prematurely? Uh, he just disappears, and um and then of course there's the um the irony and the play on words that um uh that Luke uses with Jesus being asked hey didn't you know your father and I were searching and Jesus's very next words didn't you know I had to be in my father's house so you know <laughs> Joseph standing right there yeah. you know I'm your father mm-hmm. uh and what are you talking about Jesus when you say I had to be in my father's house. I don't live here, you know. And so there's this beautiful irony and play on words. And I don't know how Joseph and Mary first took that. You know, was that offensive to them? You know, no. We're your parents. You know, I'm mm-hmm. your father. This is your father. You know, and so uh, that's that's a very packed phrase. In fact, you know, sometimes in this uh, podcast, I want to talk about what does that phrase mean in yeah. my father's house because it's so loaded. But, uh, see, were there any some other firsts? I'm just
0: um, thinking through this text. Yeah. Um, you, one thing you said before we were recording is there was the first of the you see conflict between Jesus uh, and his parents. First
1: and last, yeah. Yeah, um, that's right. I wish that we could see more. Um, you know, it doesn't. When we say conflict, we don't have to mean a fight. Yeah. But there's clearly, you know, some level of conflict here. I wish we could see more of that.
0: And, and, and interestingly, the conflict also, right? We know Jesus was not sinning in that, right. and yet he was having c- conflict. Mm-hmm. And so that that's interesting because I think a lot of times, even when we're talking about sin in helpful ways. Uh, we interpret sin as the breaking or the the trouble that happens in relationships, mm-hmm. and so what does healthy, non sinful conflict look well, like? That's a whole podcast right there. <laughs> I remember, I remember, I, and
1: I was pastoring a, ch- a church in, yeah, it was one of the churches I planted in Kansas, and uh, one of the key couples that I had recruited mm-hmm. and uh, we're building with. Uh, I began to just to see there was major tension in their relationship and they're on my worship team, both of them, husband mm. and wife. And I'm like, Hey, there's some tension here. And so I took them aside after a worship practice one night and, and said, you know, I, I, there's some, you know, I sense some conflict. I'm not trying to poke around and, you know, I'm not asking you to expose everything to me, but I sense some conflict between these two of you and they both kind of drew back. No, 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 no. There's no, there's no conflict. I said, okay. Um, tension. I see some tension. Well, yeah, there's some tension, but we don't have conflict. And I said, Oh, that's interesting. Well, you know, why are you, why that word conflict? And they're like, because Christian couples don't have conflict. We're not allowed to. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I said, Oh no, just the opposite. You, you need to, you do have conflict, but if you're not going to acknowledge it, it's going to create a lot more problems. In fact, that's what I'm sensing right now is the tension is because you have unresolved conflict because they had somehow heard teaching that the, the godly thing to do was to never argue, uh, mm. to never have conflict, stuff it. That's what it means to submit to one another is you stuff conflict. Mm. And I can see how some people might misinterpret what it means to submit to one another to mean you don't ever bring up conflict. But of course, that's very unhealthy. Right. And so then I used the phrase, they just got big eyes they were I'm like, you guys need to learn how to fight. And they're like, oh no. <laughs> And I said, I said no, but, but I want to redefine what it means to fight. Yeah. And so it was a, just, it was a fun, not fun. It was helpful to them. And mm. after a couple of sessions with them, their whole marriage, Clay, just changed because they discovered I can voice my opinion without being, you know, without being sinful. I can, it's okay for me to stand up for myself without That's not a sinful thing. And it just brought all kinds of beauty Mm -hmm. and intimacy to their marriage because they learned how to have conflict. And So you're so right. If people have in their mind that all conflict in relationships is sin, then they're going to have a real struggle with this passage in Luke 2 Mm -hmm. because there's clearly some conflict happening. Right, right. (laughs) So just just a word to anybody who's listening. If you've been brought up that that there should be no conflict in healthy relationships, that is that's wrong at a very foundational in fact one of the greatest ways to build a relationship is to navigate conflict mm-hmm. in a healthy way yeah yeah so, again we can talk about that some other day
0: i yeah i've also <laughs> heard it said you know if there's ever conflict between me and god clearly it's you know, it's not God's fault that there's yeah. conflict there. <laughs> and so, and, you know, maybe you could read that into this in situation with Mary and, and G- Mary and Joseph and Jesus. You know, it's because there is a sinful party in the mix, <laughs> definitely. Um, but it's, you know, we know it's not Jesus. It's, it's, it's just interesting. I, I look forward to the day when um, sin is no longer present mm-hmm. and we can see what relationships are going to be like. And yeah. in those days, yeah. um, well, if, if you're a good parent, then you'll raise
1: uh, Arden and Nathaniel to not have any sin in their life. And Oh, and, is that and, the you know, so no, no pressure Clay <laughs> on you and joy? But if you guys are good parents, you know, you'll raise them to be sinless. I'm just, just,
0: just, just saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, that we've already failed at that. <laughs> um, and we're not, we're not that far. Art. Yeah. We're, we've started to give Arden timeouts because she will, she's starting to hit people you know hit her brother and hit us right, right and we're like no you know your hands are you know use your hands t- for love and to help you know there's all these constructive things right. you can do with your body and she's like well i think i want to smack you again and we're like all right well then we're gonna you're gonna sit in time out <laughs> but anyway oh, yeah. um doesn't take long does it so okay so but i would i'd love to jump into um this this phrase i didn't you know i had to be in my father's mm. house this question that jesus asks mm-hmm. uh i think that's that's maybe a good place to start um what do you what do you see going on there yeah. uh, one, one interpretive approach that you took in the sermon was you said when jesus is asking questions he's teaching so mm-hmm. he's using this as a as a teaching moment yeah. uh but there's there's so much here so yeah. we, what do you see
1: yeah well, but part of it is actually a little nerdy thing here. Part of it is in, in the Greek construction, the mm. the way that the Greek phrases the question is constructed. It is uh, anticipating and uh, expecting a affirmative answer. So, so Jesus is not using a rhetorical question. So, okay, we can rule that out. We we um, we might think that he's asking because. You know, Mary, you know, if you didn't know these things, let me tell you. But by the construction of the Greek, we can see he is trying to lead them to say, yes, this, I needed to be in my father's house. That's the answer to this question. Yes, I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And so that be, that now we have this gap between Mary's knowledge. She doesn't know that Jesus had to be in the father's house. And yet Jesus has just asked her this leading question. So that helps us see. There's there's a possibility that what Jesus is doing here is teaching. Yeah. Well, as soon as we think about Jesus's teaching styles illustrated throughout the four gospels, we realize mm-hmm. oh, one of his favorite ways of teaching was the Socratic method to to use questions mm-hmm. to, you know, prompt to prompt teaching, prompt thinking. Yeah. And um so is Jesus already starting to show that Socratic method, you know, when we say that, we're referring to the philosopher, the Greek philosopher Socrates, um, who was one of the most famous people to use questions as a teaching method. Mm -hmm. You know, are we already seeing at age 12 that Jesus is, this is his first example of using questions as a teaching? Uh, I think so. Um, because this is a coming of age moment, uh, because we know that, um, in Jewish culture, Uh, age 12 and 13 is when they began to think that you are a man, that you're becoming a man. And because they grew up a lot faster in those days and because of the in-depth teaching from the Torah that every Jewish boy would have experienced, we know that Jesus, just by the fact that he's an average Jewish boy, He's, he is much more steeped in the scriptures and therefore the knowledge of God than, than our culture is with the average 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. But then we add to the fact that he is Jesus, the Messiah. He is the son of God. He's fully God. And because, again, of the tone of this passage that Jesus is asking questions that the leaders of the Israel are amazed, mm-hmm. astonished right. at his questions and his answers, very interesting that not just his answers, but they're astonished at his questions. Mm-hmm. And I think we've talked about this in the past, that that um, it's not just a Socratic method, that is an ancient Greek philosophy of asking questions, but the rabbis yep. had a, a teaching style that they taught their students, their disciples, that... We ask questions, and you ask questions, and that's how we learn together. And they would teach them how to ask good questions. So, you know, we know that Jesus was not in rabbinic school because they. we ask later uh, in Luke 4, they say, you know, hey, where did he get all this teaching? <laughs> Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't right. he Joseph's son? So uh, just a little bit more background um, as children would grow, every Jewish boy would go to Torah school and learn the Torah. Many of them would memorize large portions. The best students would memorize, you know, the whole Torah. This is normal. Mm-hmm. And then around this age right now, age 12 or 13, um, Um, you would, uh, or actually, I think it's actually earlier, maybe age age nine or 10, you would choose, am I going to go the vocational route or am I going to go the rabbi route? And so uh, Jesus clearly chose the vocational route to be a tecton, a a stonemason or a carpenter, which is what his father was. Mm -hmm. So when when they say, isn't this Joseph's son, they're not just referring to the relate the filial relationship between joseph and jesus they're also referring to the fact hey this guy never went to rabbi school right. he went the vocational route mm-hmm. and yet where did he get all this teaching and this where has he learned all these things and so um we keep seeing this kind of spiritual precociousness in jesus <laughs> that he knows more and yeah and you know we've pointed out before that the 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 questions that a student asks are if, are maybe more of an indication of their intelligence and their grasping of the material than the answers they give right because having the right answers is for sure a sign of you're getting the material teacher, student, but for you to then be able to ask very good questions means that you are gone beyond just grasping the material. And now you're grasping the, the, some of the core issues. Mm -hmm. And by the way, can I just say about you, Clay, as you, as I've watched you grow up, you know, you used to come to me when you were a stinking 12-year-old and you'd ask me questions about the Bible. I don't know if you remember this, but yeah. I, I remember thinking, who is this kid? Because the kinds of questions you asked me, I thought to myself, this is an unusual kid. Can I say that? You know, this is an unusual kid. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was attracted to that because I'm like, you know, number one, he's smart. Number two, he he loves the Bible hmm. and he wants to know the Bible and know God. I saw that in you as a, at a very young age it's, thank you yeah kind of well clear. and
0: they you know they say the the best teaching prompts lots of good questions oh, okay. So, okay. <laughs> <I'm>, no <laughs> so, thank you yeah I I do I remember having so many questions yeah. and yeah. just I, I still do have way. Yeah, me so, too. Uh, more me too. questions than you know what I found is the more education I've received yeah. I I don't feel satisfied yeah I you know <laughs> I feel I feel like I have Different, deeper, more, more, but but still more questions, than and, answers. and that's
1: one of the beautiful things that you and I get to experience as being students of theology, mm-hmm. because there are disciplines in the world where you can plumb the depths of that discipline's knowledge, yep. Um, and but there are others, you know, obviously anything about science that's you know, at, um, outer space. Um, there 's tons we had we don 't know, but not every discipline um, is uh, has what 's true of theology that no matter how much you dig there 's an endless depth, yeah because theology is a study of God, mm-hmm. and God is unlimited, and there's we will never plumb the depths of knowledge of him, so every theological exercise is just one more step deeper that we'll never get to the end of right which i think is one of the things that will happen in heaven is that we will even learn more about the character of god but discover that in all of that learning there's still more <laughs> you know and is is that what paul was talking about in romans 8:33 when he says oh the depths of the riches of god you know who mm-hmm. can plumb his depth you know I think he's exploring that you know the more I discover about God and His character and His grace and salvation, the more I'm, my mind is blown, and yeah. you know, I, I just keep going deeper and deeper. There's more and more, and that's that's one of the uh, things I love about what we get to do mm-hmm. is there's we will
0: never plumb the depths of the Word of God and, right. and the character of God. And, and what's so interesting about that, as we as we think back about Jesus as a twelve year old, mm-hmm. is because we've, we've been talking so much about the humanity of Jesus and how he grew. Mm -hmm. He, he grew Mm -hmm. like he, he needed to grow Mm -hmm. and all these, you know, we're trying to say true things about Jesus, but he's fully God and fully man. And that's Mm -hmm. hard sometimes. Yeah. And for us to understand, and we don't want to unduly emphasize his humanity or his deity because right. it's they're both 100 percent true. Right? right. He's a he's a 200 percent person, <laughs> you know, it's and so and, and yet here we have like this first inclination that, OK, he he gets yeah. something about what's happening. Yeah. Um, and and yet we want to resist the you know. So, so was it his deity at work, uh, that's allowing him to say, "I have a, some sort of a self understanding that I am God's son," mm-hmm. or was that his, as he was growing? He, you know, was that his humanity yeah. that he's having a having a relationship with the Father in his humanity? You know, what's what's going on with yeah. Jesus? Both and yeah, and,
1: and then yet there's a third thing that's going on as well that is not um, as obvious, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yep. So uh, sometimes people look at the beginning of of of, of Luke three, which is the story. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, like the middle of of Luke three, which is the story of the baptism of Jesus, and the, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. And because we don't see any other language like that before Luke three some te- some people make the assumption that that is when Jesus received the spirit in fact some people actually teach this that's when we received Jesus received the spirit is at acts is at acts luke chapter 3 mm. um, but that's that's not true um, you know there's pas- there's a passage in the first chapter of luke that the spirit will come upon you mary and uh, bring about this conception yeah. so how did Jesus become fully god Jesus the person, how was he fully God? Because the Spirit provided that spiritual sperm uh that that part of the nature of Christ that is spiritual, holy spirit, so there's the the work of the Holy Spirit to bring about the conception so so yes, Jesus has the Spirit. From moment of conception, mm. now some people like to point out that the, that Luke says about John the Baptist yeah. that he was fill, he will be filled with the Spirit before he's even born, and they say it was said about John the Baptist but not about Jesus. So therefore, you know they conclude that Jesus wasn't filled with the Spirit, but just because that phrase was not in, talked about about Jesus doesn't mean that he wasn't full of the spirit. So my point that the spirit brought about the conception, there it is. But also the old Testament prophesies that, that, that Jesus, that the the servant of God, the Messiah will be, Mm -hmm. the spirit of God will be upon him and, and he will be full of the spirit. And so, um, and then, then, then thirdly, um, what we see, uh, in, um, no, actually I wanted to, I just, I just thought of another thing I should point out. Um, I don't think I mentioned this, but when you look at the original language of Luke 2:40, let me pull that up. Um, there is a variant reading in Luke 2:40 hmm. that says, um, "So it says, and the child grew and became strong." The variant reading is in spirit, hmm. in pneumatos, and of course, there's no capitals. In capital letters in the Greek, so every time you see the word pneumaticus or pneumatos or pneuma, we you don't know is that small s spirit or is it capital s right. spirit, the Holy Spirit or someone's you know someone's human spirit, um, or of course even evil spirit, and so so it's interesting. I I, I think I I'm not a uh, expert in critical apparatus and. Um, and making decisions about whether this belongs in the best reading of the text, but I, I lean on those that are. And th- th- obviously, if you read um, most translations, say, and "the child grew and became strong." Let me see if there's any translations that say "strong in spirit." Uh, the King James says, "the child grew and waxed strong in spirit." So, interesting. Um, the I think the NASB. Uh, just says that he was strong, and the ESV just says he grew and became strong. So, you know, if that is an accurate reading, um, that, and then we have to ask the question: Is that strong in small s spirit? Is he saying that he grew, um, you know, in his human spirit, or is that, that he grew in the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, I wouldn't want to build a theological basis on that, right. but there is another textual um possibility that we're referring yeah. to the
0: holy spirit in the life of jesus that would be a really interesting question for alan schaefer because he, right he's now, starting he, to
1: learn that yeah he's yeah. getting
0: his doctorate in the like that field yeah. r- right now. Or, no no he's getting his master's degree in that field um, yeah so he's, he's yeah. excited
1: because i was just talking the other day. he's he's excited about being able to read the critical when we say the critical apparatus what we're referring to is that in the greek um, texts that you can buy a copy of. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there is like footnotes at right. the bottom of the text. It's, everything's you know everything in the, the text is Greek, but the footnotes are in English. Right. And what they're doing is they're they're pointing out that in all these different ancient manuscripts we have the you know Sinaiticus, uh manuscript the. Um, uh, the Alexandrian uh, manuscript and all these different uh, manuscripts, some of them uh, have a different uh, set of words. They're, they're called variants. Then, and when they compare these two, they're like, "Ooh, which one is the most accurate reading?" Mm-hmm. And they typically will say the oldest manuscript is, you know, has the lead in. in trying to figure out whether or not that's the most accurate because we, we nobody has any of the original Greek texts. Right. Everything we have is a copy, but we have vastly more copies of the New Testament than anything else written in antiquity. It's like by a long shot. yeah. And so one of the things that's fascinating is that when you compare all these different manuscripts, what should happen is tons of variances, because there are human beings who are capable of error who copied one text to another. Mm-hmm. And there should be, like in other ancient Greek and, and other Latin texts, there's a lot of variance. But when you get to the Greek manuscript, the New Testament manuscript, you're like, oh my gosh! These are ridiculously similar, yeah. and that's why we believe the Holy Spirit, you know, was in the transmission of the text and the translation of the text. Yeah, but we still do have some texts that that differ. Thankfully, none of them differ on anything significant. Mm-hmm. They're all very minor issues. I mean, like this one. It doesn't matter that the this whether the, the words and were in there or not uh, in right. in the spirit. Uh, it's not, not our theology is not hanging on that. Mm -hmm. Um, um, but it's fascinating to study these and that's what Alan is beginning to do. And yeah, it's kind of fun. We, we get it,
0: we get into textual criticism a tiny bit in the manuscript evidence for the new Testament in in your class. Yeah. Foundations one Oh three introduction to the new Testament. So if you're interested next time that comes up and there's also, if you've read the case for Christ, Mm -hmm. um, that he, he, that's a really accessible book that talks about this. If you're, if you're like really interested in apologetics and things like that.
1: Let me, let me, uh, add to that. Uh, I, if you, if you're interested in, as Clay just asked, definitely take one of these classes and you know, mm. there are so many things, even if you're, even if you're not interested in this textual apparatus and textual criticism, <laughs> there's so many other powerful and amazing things that are happening in these classes. So I'll add my affirmation and, and, uh,
0: what's my word, my, uh, endorsement of these people. If you go into these classes, it's yeah, it's been a lot of fun, but uh, so, so, so Jesus is making this comment. He's, he's demonstrating self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I
1: think demonstrating the work of the Holy spirit mm-hmm. to uh, enlighten him to right. these things as a two year old who becomes a three year old who becomes a four year old who becomes a five year old. At what point did Jesus begin to recognize I am the son of God I have a unique relationship with the God of the universe, you know, the who's my father. When did that happen? When did the Spirit reveal that to him? Was it age mm-hmm. four? Was it five? Was it six? We'll never know. But what we're s I think yeah. what we're seeing here is evidence that that the Holy Spirit is working in him and that it's not just the spirit of God in him that's making him God. Right. Because he is fully God. But it's also that the Spirit of God in him who's revealing these things, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. You know, these things are revealed by the Spirit of God. So some of this is psychology, the development of a human person, Mm -hmm. and some of it is theology, the development of the God-man, that that the more we study, the more we're fascinated, and we wish that there was more biblical Mm -hmm. stories about the you know, the development of Jesus, the human, Jesus, the, you know, the God-man. And of course, maybe this is some people who have heard of extra biblical gospels and and, uh, uh, apocryphal gospels that they fill in the gaps, they tell stories, they make up stories Mm -hmm. about Jesus doing miracles, you know, creating birds out of mud pies. And you know these as as a schoolboy, yeah, you know, yeah. and these things are these are this is not Bible truth, these are made up stories that people created because they saw the gap nineteen hundred years ago. we knew we wish there was more stories about Jesus the boy
0: mm-hmm. um, Yeah, And I will say on the psychological note, it's interesting that we get this window while Jesus is 12 because Mm -hmm. of the kind of development that's happening at that time. Yeah. He's he's getting formal cognitive reasoning, the ability to be Mm self-reflective. And so, you know, could it be that while Jesus was in Jerusalem, that that's when the Holy Spirit is starting to like, you know, reveal that to his, uh, his, you know, the, you know, Jesus, the human.
1: Did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the temple? You know, yeah, yeah, uh, could be. You know, because this is, this is the next level for you. You know, mm-hmm. I've been revealing these things, and now it's time for you to start sparring with, you know, the, the leaders and the teachers of Israel. And that's fascinating. I,
0: I, I would say yes, you know. Do we know if the people who he would have been speaking with, how many of them would have been there 30 or year, you know, 18 years later uh, when, ah, when he's on I've wondered the same the scene.
1: thing. Because um, the word that's used there in the Greek is didaskaloi, mm-hmm. uh, teachers. It does not use the word for rabbi. It does not use uh, any of the sects like Pharisee or Sadducee. Uh, it, so it's a very broad term. Didaskaloi is an extremely broad term. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, there, there has to be some of the teachers that were there mm-hmm. in Jerusalem when he was a 12 year old they had to be there 18 years later, and why isn't yeah. there any reference to that? And that question, and also the question of was there a young man named Saul of Tarsus, oh also yeah. wow. being taught in because <laughs> the Bible says that Paul says I was raised in Jerusalem mm. at the feet of Gamaliel, the most yeah. famous rabbi in Jerusalem. W- did they ever interact? You know, oh. this is a fascinating thing because we know they're the same age.
0: Uh, <laughs> that would be yeah and you you, know, you you think about like Nicodemus and Caiaphas yeah. who ends up being the high priest right. it's like man that's I, I don't know if they would ever take that kind of liberty in the chosen but that would be a fascinating
1: yeah there's two big places where i ask this question mm-hmm. and the first one is is when Herod went to the called for the great teachers of Israel to ask them where when? is yeah, it mm-hmm. that the Messiah will be born and they answered in Bethlehem, then why didn't none of those teachers go down to Bethlehem? It's only a six mile walk, which is nothing in those days. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, they, they were feverishly looking for the coming of the Messiah. And there's a, the chance that he might have been born in our lifetime. There's no record that any of those guys went down to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem to look for the, the, the Christ child. Um, And then then the second time, this passage here, that, you you know, it it weren't some of these teachers around when Jesus was teaching in the temple Mm -hmm. 18 years later. And, you know, he says, I taught regularly in the temple and we see lots of conflict between Jesus and the teachers of the law. Uh, So, you know, yeah. (laughs) How come no one said, isn't this that boy? Yeah. I think this is that same kid that we saw 12 years ago, you know, 18
0: years ago. No, there's no record of that. So, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, so another question that I had, well, well here, let me start it this way on this note of, didn't you know, I had to be in my father's house. Yeah. I loved how you applied that in the sermon, because for us, we don't have to go into the temple to experience intimacy with the Father. Mm -hmm. We have the Spirit as believers Mm -hmm. living in us, mediating that relationship no matter where we're at. Mm -hmm. And And I... And of course,
1: Jesus didn't need... um, That's not the only place he could talk to the Father as well. Right. Uh, Go ahead.
0: Um, I I have... uh, I'm certainly... That I've read this text in the past and felt guilty or felt like... Um, I have to go be in a certain place Mm. in order to have that moment with God. Mm -hmm. Um, and I loved how you cut through that, uh, almost without raising attention to that. But, um, I, you know, I don't know if there's a question at the end of this comment, but more just, you know, thank you for the way that you, uh, didn't allow people to get bogged down in Mm -hmm. that. Oh, well, I, if if I want to be serious about my relationship with God, I need to go Pray at the church for an hour a day. Yeah. You know, it's it's the holy place. It, as church leaders, it's interesting because we're like, we do want you to you know come <laughs> to church every week. You know, yeah. we want you to be here, um, and yet we we recognize there can be an unhealthy relationship with a place yeah. where you know you're just going there every time they open the doors because you believe that. "Quote unquote," I have to be in my father's house, but in an unhealthy way. Um, And
1: depending on what kind of church you grew up in, you know, you might have been yelled at like I was for running in the church, and then the explanation was, (laughs) "This is a holy place," Mm. and you know, and there's some, there is some sense to which that is true. This is. You know, the the local church building Mm. is where the church gathers. And so, you know, yeah, there's a sense in which this is a special place, but definitely not like this is holy ground, like the temple or the tabernacle of the Old Testament. And too often people take the church building and extrapolate its value and its essence as being the same of the ancient tabernacle and temple mm. where God says this is where I will dwell and we see s- stories of God's glory coming dwell you know coming down from heaven and filling the temple yeah and it's it's just not great biblical theology to say that that happens in a church building yeah you know, even but, though we sense his glory and sense his presence
0: absolutely and because it's it is good biblical theology to say that the the closest analogy mm-hmm. to that experience is the body of the believer in the gathering, and the yeah. gathering of yeah. right. the believers right. and so <laughs> it's you know when we gather in you know at 43275 you know Telegraph, Telegraph Road or or where there you know, are other campuses mm-hmm. um it, it, it that is a it's a, there's a holy moment happening mm-hmm. in the assembly mm-hmm. of people who are together we you know we together are the temple of the holy spirit yeah. which that's yeah. one of the analogies that Paul uses for the church in Ephesians yeah. and uh and so there is it, the, like we are we you know we carry that presence of God with us by the spirit, yeah. um, and by the grace of God. And so it's, and it's, ah, and, I, <laughs> and it's also true that, that
1: isn't it true that you have walked into a building? Mm. It may or may not have been a church building, but you've walked into a building and you sensed a presence, mm. you know, hopefully a, a good presence where, you know, so, you know, I've, I've walked into a warehouse that was being used as a gathering place for Christians in a conference and i could sense palpably there there's there's the presence of god is here and, and i i would acknowledge that and affirm that yeah but i but what we're saying is that god's presence is not dwell in the local church building because it is the local church building right if you sense His presence, it's not because of the bricks and mortar; it's because of the presence of the people of God yeah. exalting God.
0: Yeah. yeah, and and there is we don't, we don't have time for this conversation right now, but you know I I there there is I think room to talk about you like you and I have visited cathedrals mm-hmm. in Europe yeah. uh, together before, yeah. and and there is something interesting and and worshipful going on with. Architecture and, mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. And, you know, I, I, have gone to mass. Creates awe in you. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I've I've attended mass at Catholic churches with friends before, and they, you know, there's a whole thing going on there where they're, you know, they've got holy water and they're, Mysterium. they're bowing toward the tabernacle that they have in the, you know, in the front of the the church building, and mm-hmm. every time they pass it, you know, there's like these different things that they do, and that's that's some there's. There's something interesting that's I think worth having a conversation about there, mm-hmm. but it's not not in the same sense that you know we don't want to connect the temple and the the, the church building. Right. We we are the closest closest analogy in, in our gathering, yeah. Um, yeah. And that phrase
1: in my father's house is loaded with lots of other goodies as well. I mean, we we pointed out that. That in that phrase, my father's house, is a reference to the relationship between Jesus and God the Father. And so we're learning something about the character of God. In that phrase, we're learning something about the character of God that was revelatory. Mm. Because as I pointed out, nowhere in the Bible, uh, in, in the Old Testament, does anyone refer to God as my father until Jesus. That's another one of those firsts. Yeah um, that is very profound. Um, and so it, it helps us see something about the character of God. It helps us see something about the relationship between Jesus and God. And, um, I, I I made a kind of a big deal out of inviting people to press into that, especially those people in our church who are very educated in the word of God, who Hmm. know a lot about theology and who would pride themselves on I can accurately explain to you the you know that God is creator, that He's holy that he's omniscient these these attributes and characteristics of God, but you can get all of that right and miss the intimacy of the fatherhood of God, which is one of the unique things that Jesus brought to first century Jews and to us is revealing the Father and all that that means mm. and um it's just. So beautiful, um, and also this phrase—it means that you know that God is calling Jesus and calling us up into you know I, I had to be in my Father's house. Um, that phrase "I had to be" translates the the Greek uh, word "dea" d e i. Um, is how he would tra- mm. transliterate that, which means it's necessary. Yeah. It must happen. Mm-hmm. And so there's this idea that this is my destiny. You know this, And Jesus uses that phrase and that word that we translate, it is necessary to a phrase, that, that word... Several times, you know, I must go to the cross. I must go to Jerusalem. Mm. Uh, You know, this must be fulfilled. So that's we're seeing. The this is the first time that gets used. That Luke will use that again and again to refer to this mustness. This this, wow, this divine necessity that Jesus feels upon himself. Um, But it it's not a a must like a cattle prod that I'm being pushed into. It's more of a must like I'm drawn to. Yeah. And you know, this is what I would want for every follower of Jesus. That you feel I, I must have my devotions this morning because I, I, I I'm drawn to meet with God. I, I must do this not because I have to, yeah. and I'm not a good Christian if I don't, but because I'm a disciple of Jesus. And I this is the this is what it means to be a disciple. I'm hungry. I I'm drawn, and and there's there's a necessity in me to meet with the Father. I, yes, I'm, I want that. I'm, I, I have to do it, you know, Mm. and that is, we see that in Jesus and I have to do this and beautiful. Mm. Um, and, and so when he talks about this, this, you know, being drawn to the father's house, what's happening there? Well, oddly enough, um, we, most of the time I think about the temple and the tabernacle as a place of worship, but Jesus is redefining Temple here by highlighting that it's a place of learning. Mm. Now, later on, the synagogues would be places of learning, but the temple is not typically thought of as a place of learning as much as as a place of worship. Now, you know, we want learning to be an act of worship for sure, but when you read through the Old Testament occurrences of tabernacle and temple, if not all of them, the vast, vast, vast majority of them are about places of worship, encountering God, not learning. And so um, now the temple courts, you know, so now it's not the temple proper, the temple courts is where conversations happened and where learning is happening. And so this is what Jesus is highlighting. My father's house is a place not only of prayer where he you know, later on quotes when he cleanses the temples, you've turned my father's house into a you know den of thieves. It right. should be a place of prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, here he's redefining it as a place of learning mm. and which I, you know, I, I love because, <laughs> uh, as a called by God preacher of the word, I may be more of a teacher than I am a preacher. Mm-hmm. I, I toggle back and forth, but I clearly have a teaching calling in my life. So do you, mm. uh, I, I love to teach,, yep. and I, I think I love to teach more than I love to preach, and my preaching has a lot of teaching in it, mm-hmm. so that comes out of a passion of learning and so I, I really identify with, with Jesus here that you know <laughs> I, I had to be in my father 's house because i 'm hungry to learn, you know yeah, I want to aspire yeah. with people because i 'm a, I'm a student i 'm a learner, and this is one of the passions of my life you know i 'm mm-hmm. like, yes jesus you know, that's, yeah I, I, I get it that 's who I am becoming as well. Um, and so, you know, now let's take it one step further. What are these teachers and rabbis and uh, and students, what are they talking about in the temple? Well, they're talking about the Word of God. They're mm-hmm. not talking about the weather. They're not talking about, um, you know, the gossip in the community. They're talking about the Word of God and the character of God. And that's what Jesus is drawn to. Mm-hmm. He is drawn to let me let me tell you about the Father. You know, and this is and, and his questions. You know, I mean, could it is it possible that Jesus asked a question? Um, How come in nowhere in our Scripture does anyone refer to God as my Father? Is is that a possible question he he would have asked? and can you imagine the guy scratching their head going well god descri- describes himself as a father of israel how come no you know abraham noah moses job enoch you know all these great men of god who had an intimate relationship with god how come none of them describe you know their relationship with god as a father son relationship mm. or did they say to jesus if he asked that question you know you're on the edge of blasphemy because you know, that's too. You're making. Je- you're making God, the transcendent, holy God, too, too familiar. familiar yeah. You know, how, what kind of questions did He ask? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you love to know?
0: Or, or you know, because this is right after Passover, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and So, exactly. you know, is Jesus reflecting on hmm. the sacrifice? Yeah. And reflecting on, you know, I. I yeah. Oh, I,
1: mean, I would just I would <laughs> love to know just one of those questions. Yeah, yeah. But the you know, we do know that they're astonished by them. Mm-hmm. So these are learned, brilliant, studied, seasoned men of the Word of God, and they're astonished mm-hmm. by Jesus's questions. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So, you know, so that that causes us to ask, you know, how. Hungry are we for learning mm. the, about more about the character of God, or are we satisfied? I got my theology down. I, I know what I need to know. Mm. You, know it, you know, Just th- those of you who are listening to this, ask yourself right now: What's my hunger temperature? Do I am I hungry? Am I hot to learn? You know, is that a passion in my life, or am I cool in my desire to learn. Mm. Uh, Measure that in your life. And and is there a hunger to know more of God's word? And is there a hunger to know, oh, what does God want from me? You know, uh, I would, and and if you, if if you evaluate that and go, wow, it, it does feel like that's a little cool in my life, then maybe you can pray a prayer I've prayed before where I knew I needed to desire God more but to be honest I I wasn't in those moments and mm. so I said God give me the desire to desire you yeah did you hear that that prayer oh yeah because I, I know I need to hunger and I know I'm not I'm being I'm being honest so would you help me you know light that fire give me the desire to desire you and yeah. God will answer that prayer
0: absolutely I the, one of the things that I really latched onto in my early 20s was that because I wanted to want to pray more. Mm -hmm. And I came to, I, I came to the moment where I realized I cannot manufacture in myself Mm -hmm. a desire to pray. Uh, And when I try, it's not, you know, it's meaningless. It's, it's not, it does. That's not how it works. It's a grace from God. Thank you for saying
1: that word. Same thing with uh, the
0: desire to, to, you know, intimately know God or to learn more about God. And so, there's not a pressure for me to desire to pray more. It's there's there's an opportunity for me mm-hmm. to ask, mm-hmm. God, would you Good. give me that desire, just like you're 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 describing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a pressured thing. But right. it's it's an it's an opportunity. Well,
1: sometimes we make it a
0: pressured thing, but it just mm-hmm. shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, yeah. I, people can feel. You know, even I mean, we haven't talked about it yet, but that identity piece. You know, am I a bad Christian if I don't X Y Z? If I don't want that, mm-hmm. you know, that's I don't know that if that's a helpful question, um, because it's not up to you. Right. It's it's up to the Spirit inclining your heart, and so, you know, the the opportunities for you to ask, you know, give me, you know, give me more of that, give mm-hmm. me more of that desire. Um, I think when when we
1: When we don't cooperate with God's grace, I think that's one more example of what Paul meant when he said, do not receive the grace of God in vain, Mm. because God is giving you the grace to hunger. He is giving you the grace to draw, but you're not cooperating with it. And so you're getting that grace, but you're not cooperating with it. You're receiving it in vain. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, It's also another little geeky thing here. In this phrase, uh, I... I had to be in my father's house. That's actually not what the Greek text says. It's, huh. it's, uh, so some translations will have, I had to be about my father's business. Those English translations that use the word business and those English trans- translations that use the word house are actually supplying that because literally in the Greek, it's it, it, this is how it goes. Then you know I had to be in the, of my father? <laughs> I had to be in the, of my father. Hmm. Well, what's the, what, what, what do you mean? You know, mm-hmm. and the part of this is, you know, we don't live in first century Jerusalem. So whether Jesus was originally speaking in Aramaic or Hebrew and this is being translated into Greek, or whether he is speaking in Greek, we we don't know here, but either one, there were idioms that both the Greek language and the Hebraic language used that we are not familiar with today. And so we read that and we're like, there's a missing word. Mm -hmm. But they would have read that 2000 years ago and realized that this is an idiom that basically means I had to be in my father's presence or I had to be in my father's house or I had my father's business. And since we don't know those idioms because we 're not living two thousand years ago we 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 try to supply that so'll so the English makes sense right and you know so some people they they i've heard people say you shouldn't trust the n i v because it adds words that are not there and and you know this could be an example i've never heard anyone give this one as an example, but if they don't add the word, it doesn't make sense right so you know, translating from one language to another, especially an ancient language into a modern language, it's not as easy as it sounds. It's not yeah. a simple replacement of one word for another. And furthermore, for those people, the, the King James, because usually those people are King James people, the King James does the exact same thing. It mm-hmm. adds words. It supplies words. Why? To change your theology? no. To make it make sense, because we're not just translating words; we're trying to translate meaning. You know, yeah. what were they trying? That's that's the purpose of words. That words don't have an end in of them themselves. Words only exist to communicate meaning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- you know, these people they get all upset about. You know, focused on just the words, <laughs> you're missing the point. You know, yeah. God's revelation is not focused on each word. It's focused on the meaning that those words
0: convey, and yeah it, yeah, it's interesting because we you know we hold that every word is inspired, mm-hmm. yes, and yet they they don't ha- have meaning in a vacuum like in right. a, they, each they it's you have to read sentences mm-hmm. and you have to read paragraphs exactly uh and, and that's what the English is trying to do, that these translators, that's their task, is they're they're asking, how can we communicate well mm-hmm. uh, what these words are are trying to communicate? Because it's not just a code, you know, it's not a one-to-one. <laughs> right. I, I remember I, I, there was a moment I, when I first realized that, like, Spanish is not a code for English. It's a completely different <laughs> right. way of right. communicating. Right. And <laughs> Greek, you know, English is not a code for Greek. Right. Uh, it's not like, uh, you know, you, they used to give you these assignments in school where you'd have have pictures that you know are a code for english letters and you have to translate it and right. that's not how language works right. really right you know and and so we're, we're trying to make all these provisions to accurately communicate the revelation of god
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's a good argument for why we need world-class scholars working together in teams mm. to give us fresh translations yeah uh, Um, My biggest argument for that is actually the doctrine of incarnation, Uh, that when God wanted to reveal himself to humanity, he felt like the best way to do that was to uh, send Jesus incarnate, in the flesh, so that the spiritual nature and character of God... Can be grasped more of the spiritual nature of God can be grasped in the physicalness of a human being, so incarnation is essential to our you know, understanding of God, and all translations are are incarnating into you know physical words the revelation that god has has been giving, and so uh, he did not uh, create a heavenly language and the Bible is not written in a heavenly language mm. it was written in especially in the Greek it was written in the common we call it koine uh, the, the common uh, almost slang version of Greek yeah. God was incarnating his revelation in the most common words of the day because you know in, in those in the first century there was three kinds of Greek language. There was the Attic Greek, there was philosophical, classical Greek, and there was this Koine Greek. And when I first heard this taught, I assumed that the Bible would have definitely been written in classical Greek or philosophical Greek because it's high and lofty. And when I was told, no, the Bible was actually written in the slang Koine language of the day, I was surprised. But that is a powerful truth that God makes things as simple as possible. He incarnates truth in the flesh of Jesus or the words of God, because he wants us to understand. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we should not be reading the King James Version, which was very clear, very clear to people living in the 1600s, uh, but is not clear <laughs> to people living in 2023 because yeah. we don't speak in Elizabethan English. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and as, you know, language changes and language is, you know, is changing where we're adding more words to the English dictionary faster than ever before language is morphing and changing. That's one of the biggest arguments for new translations mm-hmm. so that we're speaking the language of this newest generation, you know, for... Thousands of years, nobody kept track of Generation Z and Generation Y and Boomers and Busters. Those are all very new inventions because we began to recognize generations are changing faster and faster. And there's a big difference, not just between father and son, but between the first children of this marriage and the last children of this marriage. There's a generation gap right there. And so they began to name these generations and... I think you can argue we should have a, a translation for every generation.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I, I hear that. And it's so, I, I was actually earlier today looking up a passage to try to incorporate it into a document I'm building. And I was so annoyed scrolling <laughs> through all of the translations because it was in, I was trying to get it into the NIV. And I, you know, I'm squinting my eyes trying to find it in the midst of, you know, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of translations that are available on the Bible app. Um, and I had like this moment within myself of like, are you scoffing at the number of translations? And I'm like, maybe a little bit, but I shouldn't be right. (laughs) This is a good project. Like this is a good thing to, to have because it's, it's helpful to people. But at the same time, I know it can feel overwhelming. Like my, my neighbor is, he bought his first Bible last year mm. and, uh, he's, he's been reading through it and he asked me what, you know, where do you even start? You know, what translation do you buy? So that's a, that's another conversation we talk about in the foundations classes, but, um, cool. Yeah. The NIV, the NLT, those are, those are all. I love, helpful. I love
1: it when a new Christian or a developing Christian finds a translation that, that they begin to get, because mm-hmm. it brings me back to, the first Bible I got was when I was five years old. I got a King James version, and then I won a Bible, con- a Bible memorization contest, and got an RSV. Uh, and I, both of those, if I still have those, both of those books in my, my my library, and they're you know over fifty years old, but they've hardly ever been opened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the spine is still very clean, you know, because I did not discover God in those translations. They, they were seemed so archaic to me and so foreign, Hmm. but then you go to my library and you find this green covered Bible that is so worn, you can't even read the cover and (laughs) you start working through the pages. And that's, that's the living Bible. And, um, you know, we would not technically not call that a translation, it's a paraphrase, Hmm. but that was the first Bible that I fell in love with studying. And the Bible started coming alive to me. Yeah. In fact, I had such a hunger that I wanted to know, and I discovered this was just a paraphrase. So I'm like, well, what's the most accurate? So then the next Bible you'll come to in my shelf is an ASB Hmm. and it's worn out. It is so worn because that was my first study Bible. It's not a you know, as we talk about study Bible study with notes in it, it was just the text cross reference, but that the pages have fallen out of that Bible. Cause I devoured that as a high school kid, <laughs> that's in, and, and high school and college, I literally wore the Bible out the cover and the pages by reading it so much. Mm. And because I was hungry. So when I hear stories about your friend, yeah. you know, finding the first Bible, they begin to read. I'm like, Ooh, you know, God do in them what you did in me that way. Well, you began to build that hunger to study and to know the word of God. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love
0: those days. I love yeah, those days. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I've got another friend who has come to the Lord recently, who has had that experience with audio with an audio bible Ooh, that, cool. that that you know it comes with like explanation and uh-huh. notes and so he'll listen to it yeah. and then yeah so that's that's been really cool yeah. uh but anyhow <laughs> any any love we we uh should probably wrap up here (laughs) but any any last uh comments you know on the Uh, on the on the series or on this text right this is you know we're we're wrapping up (laughs) i I, uh and obviously because right this is i I, i'm excited because this is where the real work begins yeah because it's this can be a nice series um and I'll oh, remember that one time when we talked about parenting, mm-hmm. but what I've loved is the mobilization of our church leadership toward continuing this moment momentum into uh, families here on out and in, to me, one uh, product that's been a result of that is the family resource yeah. we're gonna be rolling out on Sunday.
1: Yeah, um, thank you for stealing my thunder. I was just gonna say that. You, you asked me the question, then you, then you gave me my answer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, a... you're, you're
1: exactly right. Um, um, I remember um, early on in the series, I remember thinking, we've got to make this more than a sermon series. We've, gotta, we've got to help parents mm. Uh, we've got to develop some kind of tool to help this become contemporary. Because at that point in the sermon series development, I had only begun to see these parts of God's plan of, of raising Israel. I hadn't yet made the application to how can we apply this to our parenting? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was right it was just a kind of a discovery moment for me and when I made that kind of aware that discovery that aha moment, I remember instantly thinking oh, man it 's got to be more than just applying this to today 's parenting we 've got to give fresh tools you know, you know just like just like Moses is being practical in Deuteronomy six when he says, "Write this on the doorposts of your house that 's an application." of keeping the Word of God in, in front of you yeah you know put this on uh, a front lens to, on your forehead uh, talk about it as you walk these are just all these are is our applications mm-hmm. that w- worked for um, four thousand you know six thousand years ago um, uh, and we've got to find new ways of applying these ancient truths to our children. Yeah, and that's what, what that was the the genesis of this family parenting resource plan. And I'm I'm tickled that it's starting to get you know like we're going to un, um, unveil it this this Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I know you're working on this, putting a bunch of things together. And 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 I am, and others are. And I really am hopeful that this is going to be a tool that. Can make these things that we're discovering um, easier to yeah. apply. Not to make parenting easier, but to make God-centered parenting to to raise. If if the goal of Christian parenting of all parenting is to raise up to nurture God-aware, mm. God-conscious, and then eventually God-centered children, we need to go through those stages. At first, it's just God-aware. Who is Who is God? Yeah. And then. God conscious that he's around me. I can have a relationship and then God centered. That's another thing I left on the cutting room floor is that those, (laughs) those three stages. Yeah. yeah. And as a, as a parent, you're not asking your 18 day old, your 18 month old to be a God centered kid. All you're doing at that point is trying to help them become aware of God. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when they become when you start, can start talking and, and they can communicate back now, You're trying to help build God consciousness, God awareness Mm -hmm. of of Him His presence during the day. But even that's not enough. We want to get to the point where those children are making God the center of their life. Yeah. And that's a process. And I want I'm just really really desirous to help parents um, in ways that I wasn't helped because I didn't think about these things. These these kind of resources weren't available. In fact, Clay, when I first started thinking about these things a couple months ago and started seeing them and th- asking to myself, am I seeing a, a biblical pattern here mm. of parenting that God, how God parented Israel? Um, I went on Google and typed in, you know, God's parenting plan, uh, biblical parenting plan, you know, God's way of parenting Israel, just to, you know, am, am I seeing something that anybody else has seen? and not, Nothing. You know, when I every time I type in God's parenting plan, I get somebody's, you know, putting together Ephesians six four with Deuteronomy six and you know, Psalm seventy eight, wonderful verses. Well, yeah, I've used yeah. them, but it's more of a global Old Testament New Testament uh, putting some pieces together versus what I think I'm seeing that that God Himself is actually displaying. This is how I've parented Israel, mm. and there was enough clarity that joseph and mary were following that yeah and is there is there actually more to that and so in those early days of god showing me and revealing me these things i'm like oh, this is so exciting already i was wondering how can we make this applicable today yeah and uh and even even the what we roll out sunday clay um is just it's it's not a done it's not a done deal it's not a the project's not over we're going to yeah. continue to add things to that
0: right i i see it almost as like uh like a down payment, in in no. a sense, okay. where we're like, hey, we're we're <laughs> invested good. in this yeah. as a church, and yeah. we're, you know, because I, I love how the first question that our teams asked when we started rolling this out is, like, how can we fill in the gaps in what we're doing as a church that we see mm. in these, mm-hmm. in, you know, in these, you know, comprehensive um, plans? And so they're, yeah. and we've, we've, you know okay, yes, that's a good question, but let's get this out first and then we'll tackle that next. And so that's been, there's a lot of momentum there and and they're excited to to be a part of it and to help and and all that. And that's one of the reasons
1: why I don't want this series to be over because when we move to the next series, which I'll start on the 12th of March, it's called Prep Time. As people get excited about that series, and I hope they do, Mm -hmm. I will, You know, it's easy for us to then forget about the excitement and maybe the follow-up of what we learned in the Discipling the next generation
0: series mm-hmm. um so yeah <laughs> yeah and and also the, i think one of my biggest takeaways even from today as i was writing some content for the web page is uh, nurturing god-centered parents has to start with my own god-centeredness yes and so that yes. that would be just one last thing that i would want to say is um, the, the best thing that one of the best things you can do for one of the best things I can do for Arden is to be a grounded man of God. Yes. Uh, because a pursuer of God. Yes. yes. So much yes. of that is going to leak out of me. Exactly. And, and if, if it just becomes about a book that I read to her at night, yeah. um, she'll be able to see through that.
1: Let me just give you some hope. I just was talking to one of my children a couple of days ago. And they said this, basically this very thing, dad, this kid said, that one of my children said, a lot of the passion I have and the hunger I have for God, I got from you being your daughter, It's watching the way that you lived your life. Mm. I did learn a lot from the things you taught me on purpose, but my passionate pursuit of God, I picked up from living in your house and I'm like, I, I can think of few things that made me more happy as a parent. That, that's that's what you're saying right now. Exactly. That's what you want for Arden and Nathaniel. Absolutely. You want them, and, and, and that's the heart and soul of discipleship. Mm-hmm. Discipleship is not just learning data and information. Yep. It's being transformed. So we say, yeah. follow Jesus to learn from Jesus. And sometimes we say, learn Jesus yeah. to become, that's the transformation, to become yeah. like Jesus. and and that's a prayer worth praying as you raise your your as you raise Arden and Nathaniel god you know pass on a hunger for you and your word to my girl my my girl and boy yes oh, yeah. Oh.
0: yeah and that yeah and that's also why discipleship can't live only in a classroom oh, and it oh. has to be you have to share yourself
1: and, and that's why we say that discipleship maybe the best place for discipleship is the home. Yes. Which I think the first time I said that, I saw some people kind of like, no, it's got to be the church, surely. Nope. It's the home. Yeah. It's the place you live. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And,
0: and yeah. So may, may we be people who are living with mm-hmm. others in a way that mm-hmm. we're leaking the love of God mm-hmm. and leaking passion for God, uh, in a way that. It, it becomes a part of how we relate to one another. Um, Amen. I, you know, I pray that for our church that, that we, we, our culture is all about discipleship, mm-hmm. uh, and and what that means is we're we're leaking this passionate surrender, passionate pursuit, passionate mm-hmm. love. Uh, when I t- t- lead people on the
1: uh, off-road discipleship retreat, mm-hmm. which is coming up in April, I'd love for people to come to that. One of the th- things I teach there is that uh, in John, I think it's John three twenty-two, Jesus says to his disciples, uh, "Let's go uh, out into the wilderness, into a, a remote area, mm-hmm. so we can spend so they, so he could spend time with them." Yeah, and that phrase, "spend time with them." It translates a Greek word that can be used to mean the word "rub," mm-hmm. so to rub off on, and so the, the picture there is that Jesus says, "As you spend time with me in an intentional way, I will rub off on you." Mm-hmm. Well, that's discipleship. Yeah, and that's, that's absolutely. That's and that's parenting, and so maybe let me say, let me add to that: May Jesus rub off on us in such a way that he rubs off of us
0: onto our children. And
1: we actually take on more of the (laughs) character of Jesus.
0: Amen. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's leave it there, Jim. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. And, uh, if, if you're listening, share this podcast, you know, the they're, they're Spotify and Apple mm-hmm. music, uh, they make it real easy or Apple podcasts, I guess they make it real easy to share episodes. And so if you found this helpful, mm-hmm. share it with your friends who are parenting or, uh, leave us a little review. It just, it helps us bring more people into the conversation. Yeah. Uh, and un- until next time we'll, we'll log off. Amen. See ya. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.